0: May I invite you now to grab a Bible and open it to the twenty third chapter of the book of Jeremiah and we'll continue our study of the book of jeremiah and While uh you're looking for that, I always like to wedge in a um an announcement I just simply want to underscore this um vacation Bible school that we do every year. I read a book this week in the written by a Baptist brother who um uh pointed out and he he did it in such a sweet way his attitude was so good, better than mine but um uh, he was talking about the VBS tour every summer. And you know what that's referring to? That's referring to um, uh, parents who bring their kids and drop them off at this VBS and this VBS and this VBS and this so that they can take advantage of some free uh, babysitting. So um, they're, they're taking advantage of us. Yeah. Isn't that grand? Because, ladies and gentlemen, I can't tell you what the outcome is, but I know you know, there will be somewhat oh, around 500 kids um, each day, and, and a fourth of those kids are going to come from under-resourced areas in our city, and we get a week to explain and define the gospel over and over and over again, and they're going to take advantage of us. <laughs> and I, for one, am thrilled that they are. So, guys, let's do that well. We've done it well for 29 years, and let's not stop now. But the last count I heard, I, I think this is right. Now, forgive me if it's inflated. I, I'm good at that. Um, but the last time I heard, it was 250 volunteers that are needed in the week. 250. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of men and women working real hard for a week. And by the way, if you're out there thinking you're on the margins of Gracie Van and you don't know anybody, I got a suggestion for you. Come work in BBS for a week. And at the end of the week, you will have 150 best friends um, having worked side by side for a week. It's a great opportunity. It's a happy week, ladies and gentlemen. There's a board out there that awaits your name and your participation. Throw it in, ladies and gentlemen. Leave it all, you know, um, leave it all on, the, on the floor. But let's, let's do this thing where we announce and proclaim the gospel to 500 kids across our city and do it well. Let's do that. Now... I want to read to you uh, only the verses 9 through 17, but I want you to know there are only a small portion of a larger portion that goes to the end of the book. Um, I, I want to read you, I want to open with the first three words, then I want to stop, and then I'm going to explain something, and then we'll proceed in the text. The text reads like this, concerning the prophets. Now, guys, do you notice what, is, what Jeremiah is doing and how, how the Holy Spirit has arranged this, this section Uh, Verse uh, 1, woe to the shepherds. The verses prior to that in chapter 22, he's addressed the kings. He's addressing the leaders of Israel, and now it's the prophets' turn. Now he turns his attention to the prophets. And I want you to notice, keep in mind, this is addressed to the prophets. So I want you to see what is said to them. My heart is broken within me, all my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine, because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers, because of the curse the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly, even in my house I have found their evil." Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall for I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray but in the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets. Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you and to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart. They say, no disaster shall come upon you. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, um, originally in my planning uh, of how I would manage a study of the book of Jeremiah over the weeks and months, um, I I, I came to a, um, a decision. I ultimately changed, but um, I I, I said this to myself, I said, okay, I want to introduce them to this um, righteous branch and the Lord is our righteousness in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 23. I wanted you to see that. That is one of the clearest Old Testament references to Christ to be found anywhere in the Old Testament. Right there, the the righteous branch, verse 5, and the Lord is our righteousness, verse 6 of chapter 23. Originally, I had planned to skip the rest of this chapter and pick up at chapter 24, verse 1, about a vision about figs, which we'll get to, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. But I was going to skip verses 9 through 40. And as I said, the next sermon would be 24, verse 1. Verses 9 through 40 is a long harangue. It's an attack aimed at false prophets, and as I said, I had originally intended to skip it. About 10 days ago, um, two of the men in this congregation sent me a podcast. Both, it, was on, it was on April the 24th, a Wednesday morning. They both sent it to me, and they said, Jimmy, you've got to listen to this and I did. It was Al Mohler's daily briefing. If you don't listen to that, uh, it'd be something good to add. He's brilliant. He's an ally. But on that morning, on April the 24th, Al Mohler's daily briefing, the subject was Joel Osteen. Twenty-six minutes of sheer torture to listen to. But having listened to it, I felt like Jeremiah. He describes himself in verse 9. My heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. And um, took another look at verses 9 through 40 and discovered that apparently there were a few things, few issues that so severely grieved the prophet Jeremiah as did the opposition that he got from false prophets. I'm grieved too. I'm grieved that I have to preach this. As I said originally, I intended to skip it. But through those two men and that podcast, I I, I sensed, and I I didn't, I'm not saying that God spoke directly to me, I'm not, but I sensed that God would not have me skip these verses. So, um, I came back and looked at them again. Now, gang, I I don't enjoy being controversial. I'm not looking for controversy. Um, I'm in controversy on Wednesday nights. I didn't want any more. I'm not trying to be a tough guy who, who wants to move. I'm not trying to do that. I'm simply trying to be faithful to this book. Um, Jeremiah was at war with a crowd of prophets that he calls in verse 14, excuse me, yes, in verse 14 and, and 10, verses 10 and 14, he calls them adulterers. In verse 11, he calls them ungodly. In verse 14, he says they are liars. And that's some pretty strong language to be leveling at people who are in the professional clergy. And and those of you who um, may think, um, well, though though Jeremiah does not do it here in verse 23, he does do it in chapter 28. Uh, That is, he mentions names. And my point is, those of you who think it uncharitable of me to mention names, I can only say that Jeremiah does. And so does the apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy 4, and so does the author of 1 Kings. They all mention false prophets by name, so I'm in pretty good company. Believe me, uh, they don't hesitate using my name. That is, if they knew it, um, I'm such a pipsqueak nobody, they, um, they probably had never heard, and that's fine, but they wouldn't hesitate to use it. Now, with that said, on to the message of 917 and, of course, 9 through 40, This section dealing with false prophets. Now, guys, I want to start like this. I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. If you can find that pretty quickly. Hebrews chapter 1. I only want to read one verse and it's only 17 words, so it's quick. But Hebrews, the great book of Hebrews, starts off this way. This is Hebrews 1.1. It says, long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke. Oh, wow. God spoke? Yes, a talking God. He spoke to the fathers. Long ago, he did it in in, in lots of different ways, but God, the speaking God, spoke. There was no Bible in print at the time. So God spoke to our fathers, and how did he do that? He did it by the prophets. He spoke to the prophets. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you were a prophet back in this day, that was a big deal. Because the people are wondering, well, how do I come to know this God, Yahweh? I mean, how, how, how do I learn the, the things that he loves and hates and requires of me? How do I learn that? Well, you go to the prophets. Because God spoke through the prophets. You know, guys, there's, a, there's an interesting piece of hymnody that we sing, and I love the hymn. It just happens to be inaccurate. Um, the hymn is, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. Well, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, that's not what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says this, um, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What our hymn ought to say is, the church is one cornerstone, is Jesus. But it's, it, I, I, listen, I'm really not trying to take issue with hymns. I'm simply saying that when the Bible got to talk, when it was talking about the role of the prophet, it was a big deal. The prophet provided the foundation On which the superstructure of Christian religion was built, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. So, all of my religious understanding was riding on what I heard, (coughs) pardon me, from the prophets. They were God's spokesmen. But sadly, Like every other human institution, that office of prophet has been corrupted by sin. And so what you have today is the prophet and the false prophet. Now guys, um, as a result of that, the unthinkable has happened. Look at verse 13. My people, they led my people Israel astray. Um, The false prophets have led my people astray. And then the outcome of their being led astray is that God's people are hurt through falsehood. But not only are they misled by what the false prophets teach, they are also misled by how the false prophet lives. Look at verse 14. Those prophets, they commit adultery. And in turn, notice what else? By their living in adultery, they strengthen the hands of the evildoers so that no one turns from his evil anymore. So as a result of what they taught, God's people are misled. But it also, they come to the conclusion that they can live on in their sin. Because my goodness, if the false prophets are going to have an adulterous affair, so can I. <clears throat> <clears throat> and so, God is ticked. Well, obviously, God isn't upset with Joel Osteen. I mean, because he lives in a house that's valued at ten point four million dollars, and his net worth is somewhat north of sixty million. And there are fifty thousand people who worship there at Lakewood every Sunday. <laughs> I wish, I wish God were uh, ticked at me. <laughs> Kind of like that, we might be tempted to ask or say. And his message, um, this came from the podcast. The, um, the, the man whose article is being assessed is, was interviewing Joel Osteen. And uh, what came from that interview is, most people come to church to feel better, not worse. And when I say feel better, I mean feel better about themselves. Life already makes people feel guilty. And so if you keep talking about sin, people are going to get turned off. Oh no! Not that! Anything but that! We certainly wouldn't want to turn off anybody with the truth, now would we? So why don't we just feed them a pack of lies? Because maybe that won't turn them off. Folks, in the message of the prosperity gospel, meaning revolves around the self. The self is the center of all meaning. Shifting the focus away from a self-existent God onto me. I remember I started to do it again today, but I've already shown it a couple of times on Wednesday nights. Do you remember the the, um, the YouTube by R.C. Sproul? Um, he was at a conference and he was sitting on a panel and somebody asked a question. And I mean, he kind of leaned forward and he said, uh, rather offensively, he said, What's the matter with you people? And then he goes on to talk about, invariably or inevitably, if you've got a high view of God, you have a low view of man. But if you have a high view of man, you have a low view of God. And here is the high view of man. God is the great admirer of you. And, and what I'm about to say, I got off this podcast, and, and I, I don't know how, you, you can't make this stuff up. Quoting, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a computer, your face would be the screensaver. The most important reality in the universe Is You You know, when I heard that, I couldn't help but think of a a statement that Paul made, the Apostle Paul in Romans 16. He said this, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naïve. So you want to be a screensaver, do you? I can tell you where to go to church. One of Joel Osteen's protégés, her name is Paula White. Maybe you've heard of her. Paula White said this, and I'm quoting. And anyone who tells you to deny yourself is Satan. Well, if I'm not mistaken, Jesus said that. Oh, he did. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and elsewhere. If anyone tells you to deny yourself, he's Satan. Well, Jesus told you to deny yourself. Can you connect those dots? But wait, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. The, uh, the false prophets of Jeremiah's day have visions. Let's, uh, let's read about them. Verse 16. Um, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Where'd they get it? Well, they got it from their self-induced. That would make them frauds and imposters. But what message did they conjure up? (coughs) Here it is in verse 17. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Sounds like they read the same books on modern psychotherapy that Kenneth Copeland read. Kenneth Copeland, whose message is nothing more than a consumer-driven individualism, a gospel with a smile, the... um, The author in the podcast of the article that was reviewed um, is not a believer. But he made this observation. He says, It's not what's present in the message, it's what's absent. There's no mention of sin or guilt or repentance or hell, just optimism, bounty, harvest, and destiny. Health, wealth, and victory awaits all who learn. How to make God work for you. Isn't that exciting? You can find a way to have God work for you. Here's a quote. God is on call. Your problem is a fundamental lack of self-belief. If God can do it, you can do it. Okay, didn't God create the heavens and the earth? Okay, that means if God can do it and I can do it, that means that I can go speak a universe into existence. It is a total rewriting, reversal of a biblical call to repentance and God centered living. Well, where did they get all this stuff, um, Jimmy? Uh, well, besides the psycho babble of Oprah, maybe they got it the same place that the false prophets of Jeremiah's got theirs. Look at verse twenty-five. I didn't read this. <coughs> this is a part of this section on false prophets. Verse twenty-five. I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, "I have dreamed. I have dreamed." Where did they get it? They dreamed it up in their wishful thinking or maybe in their nighttime sleeping, I don't know, but they said, I've got a dream, i got a dream. Well, um, Jeremiah doesn't deny that God may speak to people through dreams, but it must never be placed on the same level with God's word and must be always judged by God's word. Look at verse 28. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. Notice this next comparison. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Do you see what the prophet just did? He compared your dreams to straw and God's word to wheat. An enormous difference between chaff and something nourishing. And then, verse twenty-nine is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Um, Mendelssohn, I think it is it Frederick Mendelssohn, who was the great composer. He put that statement in the mouth of Elijah in his great um, opera, Elijah. Elijah didn't say it. Jeremiah said it, or God said it through Jeremiah here. But he did know enough to put these words in the mouth of a true prophet, Elijah. God's word is likened to a hammer and to a fire. Mary, Queen of Scots, once said, I am more afraid of John Knox's preaching and praying than I am in all the armies that the Pope can field," Because his word is like a hammer. It's like fire. But not at Lakewood Church. If you want to feel bad, Lakewood's not for you. If you want cool breezes and velvet touches, you'll have to go to the false prophets. Read with me verse 32. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all. That's not to say there's no prophet, because the prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, P-R-O-F-I-T-S, greatly. And if you want to hear the gospel, the gospel of substitutionary atonement, the gospel of a sin-bearing Savior, don't go to Lakewood, because, ladies and gentlemen, Lakewood has determined that they have found out what Jesus really meant on the cross when he said, it is finished. You remember those words that Jesus said, it is finished? Well, Lakewood has got a a brand new meaning for what he meant. And this I am not making up. What Jesus really meant when he said, instead of every evangelical knowing that it's talking about the the, uh, completion of the debt payment for our sin, instead of that, he didn't mean that. What he really meant is that we're finished with depression, Finished with low self-esteem. The mediocrity is finished. Just speak it. Say it out loud. And that will actualize it. Just keep saying the Babylonians are not coming. The Babylonians are not coming. The Babylonians are not coming. And that, and, and, and that, that means that will be actualized. And Jerusalem won't be destroyed. You see, if you change your thoughts... You can change the world. Just keep saying, no disaster, no disaster, no disaster. If you will just do your part, God will do his part. Richard Niebuhr described the prosperity gospel message like this. This is a classic. He said, the message of the prosperity gospel is about a God without wrath who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the administrations of a Christ without a cross. Here's the message for you folks. It's about a God without wrath who brought people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the administrations of a Christ without a cross. Osteen said, I want to help people sleep at night. So do I. But not by lying to them. Look at that statement, the last sentence of verse 32. So they do not profit this people at all. Verse 36, but the burden of the Lord shall you shall mention no more for the burden is every man's own word and you pervert the words of the living God. verse 26 How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? It's a message that has an appearance of truth but it's based on no reality. And it is unnourishing. And it does not convey life to a famished soul. And it is cruel. Cruel. Why do you say that, Jimmy? Well, guys, I have to be very careful about what I'm about to say because I do not want you to think in any way I'm trying to take advantage of this other than to illustrate the cruelty of the message. That's all I'm trying to do. These are tragedies, and I do not take joy or delight or pleasure in it at all. Joel Osteen's father, John, divorced his first wife. He ended up, he's the one that founded Lakewood Church and gave it to his son. He ended up for the last few years of his life on dialysis and died of a heart attack. His, uh, Joel Osteen's mother, Dodie, died of liver cancer at age 48. Those are both tragedies, ladies and gentlemen, but I guess the problem was they didn't speak it out loud to actualize it, or maybe the problem was they didn't have enough faith. To say that to somebody, ladies and gentlemen, is utter cruelty. The reason that you died of cancer is because you didn't have enough faith. One of the things that's pointed out in this podcast, which I found oh so interesting, we're talking about the global um, theological competitors that exist out there. What is what competition is evangelical Christian finding around the world? You would think it would be Hinduism or a revitalized Islam, but it is not. The great competitor to the evangelical message around the world is the prosperity gospel. America's great export to the world is the prosperity gospel. John Piper, a man who is a hero to many of us around here, John Piper has said, that he is going to spend the rest of his life and the rest of his ministry seeking to overturn the prosperity gospel. Folks, the issue is verse 35. Thus shall shall you say, everyone to his neighbor and everyone to his brother, what has the Lord answered or what has the Lord spoken? This must be our concern. What has the Lord said? To broadcast any other message is to expose you to verse 40. I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. Ladies and gentlemen, There is a true prophet to whom you might listen confidently. And it is not me. His name is Jesus Christ. My dear friend, it is not your sins that will damn you. What will damn you? is your refusal to trust in the one provision that God has made for your sin. Jesus Christ, the real king. Jesus Christ, the real priest. Jesus Christ, the real prophet. Our Father, um, would you remind your people that um, because of the entrance of sin in Genesis 3, no man can be trusted, including the one behind the pulpit this morning. But we must measure everything he says and everybody else says by the precepts contained in this book. Would you make us true to it, O God, and where we have erred, would you show us such that we might repent and correct? But where we have broadcast a true gospel, would you use it to bring men and women to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Now, Lord, we commit ourselves to doing just that. Stop us where we err and underscore the truth when it's consistent with your word. We ask it, of course.